Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the PD Sports Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to 2022 because it is our first podcast for the new year. Damien, how you going, my friend? Not bad. Not bad at all, mate. It's been a fun old start to the new year in sport-wise, life-wise, and probably explains why we're coming back on the 18th instead of back a bit earlier as well. Everything's been a bit crazy in 2022, but I cannot wait to get into this because there's been so much to talk about. And more importantly, we just love doing the pod, don't we, Paul? Yeah, exactly. So heaps and heaps of sports sort of been going on that last couple of weeks as well. So we can kick straight off. I think we should start. Should we start with the cricket? I think that's all yeah, finished off. Yeah, we cut the cricket off, I reckon, really yeah, quick as well. Nice and short. Obviously, Australia winning 4-0 in the end. I predicted a 5-0 back when we did the preview of the Brisbane test. But obviously, yep. I didn't anticipate... Us in Sydney um, getting a draw, which we were very, very close to, to getting that win there, obviously, with only needing one wicket. But very, very underwhelming series. And I think I mentioned it in the the preview. I just wanted a competitive series, and we just didn't get that at all, did we? It was just very one-sided. Yeah, England, we always knew England were going to be poor. Um, I was hoping that we'd get a competitive series because Stokes or Root would go ballistic in one of the games and there would be some more rain around in Brisbane and it would get rained out. And I was like, come on, just give me something. I was kind of wishing in that preview just to give me a series. We never got it. Yeah. And you can never complain when Australia win easy against England and you can never complain when Australia win well. And it does set us up for the year that is obviously India and at the end of the year and... We've also got Pakistan and Pakistan for the first time in yeah. a long time coming up That's as exciting. well, which is huge, which will be exciting. I'm definitely watching that on Fox Sports. But um, yeah, just uh, England were poor. We said that in the preview, and I'm not going to touch on it too much more. But if you've watched the last hour of the last test, that was England the whole series. When push came to shove and there was a little bit of pressure, all their batsmen nicked off, gave yeah. away their wicket, Fell and apart. just no one wanted to stick around, which, you know. The annoying thing for me about this was England's selections were just so weird. Yeah, they were just and erratic. And you could see that in periods where they got the selection semi-right, they actually had moments in the test where they could take the game to Australia. You know, how Crawley did not open from minute one, how you don't bowl Broad and Anderson uh, first yeah. test in similar conditions to Hobart, and then you have a straight three for 18 in Hobart. Kind of shows you they could have started the Ashes a lot different, and I'm a big believer that if you get momentum early in series, it carries you through. Yeah, they just need to take the experience in, I feel, to Brisbane. They just sort of made a few decisions there where you kind of scratch your head a little bit and it showed uh, very early. But from some individual performances, it was nice for, for Travis Head to get player of the series, which I've, when I thought about it initially, I sort of thought, oh, that's a bit of a, a surprise. And then I'm like, well, he's made 100 and 150. But then when I sort of really stepped back, there wasn't anyone across the five tests that really cemented that in my head it wasn't there wasn't someone that came in and from minute one really dominated someone who i felt was really consistent was scotty bolland but yeah you know he i mean what trav played four tests scotty played three but for how consistent scott was you could have almost argued that he could have won player of the series and he played almost half of it or just over half but i think that kind of showed how good we were was that it didn't have to we didn't it wasn't a series of old where you'd need Steve Smith to make hundreds constantly to keep you in games. It, it was someone else every innings. You know, it was either David Warner or it was Manus or it was Smith in Adelaide or it was Trav or it was Cam Green with the bat. So I think people got runs when we needed them to get right. Or Kawaja as well in Sydney, obviously, too. So there was just options there that someone was going to do it, which 
made it interesting for me when it came to uh, picking a, a player of the series. And I'm still not, you know, it's funny, the test's been done for two days and I'm still not settled on who I think the best player throughout the whole series was. Yeah, I'm with you there because I thought Scotty Boland was going to win it, to be fair, because when you look at Scott Boland and what he did, his average was like nine points something for the series, which yeah. is crazy. He comes in into the MCG and thinks, okay, six for seven, maybe it's a fluke. Goes away, obviously, in the fourth test in Sydney. Absolutely unreal. Nearly gets Australia home. Um, and then he goes to Hobart and he's dead solid yet again. Um, I just think for a guy who played three test matches, he had the biggest impact in the series. So I feel yeah. like he probably deserved to win it. And saying that, though, Travis Head as a batsman probably was the best batsman in the series. And this, the series awards really go to batsmen predominantly unless a bowler's absolutely ripped for a whole side yeah. continuously. And I thought Bowling was as close to that as possible. Um, there's other guys, obviously, that stepped up for us too. And I thought Cam Green was half a shout as well to win player of the series. Yeah, he just needed to make, make some more bat. runs, didn't he? Um, yeah, if he, if he batted towards Early. the end of the series that he did with, at the start, he definitely would have won player of the series. Yeah. But um, just shows Cam Green's a bit of a confidence player. When he's when he's in form and his confidence is up, he's a, uh, he's a guy that definitely wants to um, you know make runs. And then when his confidence isn't there, his front foot gets a bit wayward and he gets bold, he leaves balls on the stumps. So. Yeah, for someone so he young, though, time, he's doing he's a great job. For someone so young, is unbelievable. Yeah, and yeah. definitely one for the future, I think. He's going to lock down that number six spot. Uh, he'll give you your 15 overs or so every innings too, and he'll just hit that same spot. And he, how good was he in the second innings in Hobart? Just oh, rip yeah. through the top order and away they go. So I think... He's just he's so good. Yeah. Um, so good. We'll move on to yeah, the last point there about yeah. Alex Carey. Now, if you ask me that question after Adelaide, it was probably a lock after keeping very well in Brisbane, made a, a 50 in Adelaide. And then I think, you know... His role changed a bit throughout the series too. Like he didn't have to make runs. Um, he was, I think he made. I can't remember what he made now in the second innings in Hobart, but he was one of the top scorers. 49. Yeah, he was one of the top scorers though as well. So I think, like, I'd, I'll give him a pass. You know, maybe just above a pass, probably a B. You know, on the series here, and I'd be taking him to Pakistan. There's, there's no one else knocking the door down really um, that I see coming in and doing a much better job than him. Um, and his glove work's been pretty good. He only maybe dropped one or two catches that you'd think he would have taken across five five games. I think it's a, a pretty solid effort. I thought he was pretty good. Um, yeah, he dropped a few that probably a lot of keepers definitely would have taken. And I think it's one of those things for a keeper, especially then also if you're new to the side and the slips, you don't know whose catches who sometimes. Yep. And you come from like South Australia where the cordon might be wider. Then you go to Australia and David Warren's quite tight to you at first slip. I think it was the one in Adelaide that was a turning point for him keeping-wise. That's why everyone's questioning Kerry. It's like, oh, my God, you know, meant to be a keeper batsman, but he can't even keep and this, that. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, he's left one, obviously, for Warner, which Warner then looked at him. He said, why aren't you taking that? And then he's gone for the next two that he's dropped at full stretch. And I'm like, yeah, one of those two, he probably hits the middle of his palm. He should glove it. He doesn't glove it. And if we have Adam Gilchrist there, he gloves it, right? Um, but you've got to give a guy time. You've got to remember, it's your first series. You're nervous. There's ever a time to carry people. This was the series. And I'm not saying Alex Carey was carried. I thought Marcus Harris was carried, right? And the fact yeah. he, thank God he was the last test because I don't think he's ever going to be a good enough opening batsman for Australia, even though everyone is fascinated with him. Um, but for me, when it comes to Carey, you've got to look at his role and just go, is he, he taking catches? Yes. Is he influencing games of cricket? Yeah, he is. And the reason why I say that, you take away his 49 runs in Hobart in the second innings, and yeah, he gets lucky. He gets an LBW that probably should be given out. And like, look, all I'm going to say is that 
DRS can be weird sometimes. How's that pitching outside leg? I don't know. Um, and it gets bowled off a new ball. Sometimes you get luck in cricket. You take your luck. And Carey, for me, took his luck, ran with his luck, and made 49 of the innings that changed that game. Yeah. So for me, I just feel like with that in mind, you've got to give him the, the role and whatever. And I saw Fox Sports release an article today saying, you protect a desk team for the Ashes series. And it's literally the same team without Alex Carey for Ingles. And I'm like... What's the guy really done that wrong that the whole of Australia seems to be on his back? Yeah. You know, look at the English keepers. Josh Butler's meant to be this unreal, you know, rookie keeper batsman. You know, he takes screamers, drops sitters. At least with the carry catches, you know, there's, you can understand how he's dropped it. Yeah, you know what his baseline is. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you know what you're going to get from Alex Carey. There's no questionable performance or there's no just knocks on his batting. Like, he's he's got a solid technique. He's a good gloveman. You know what you're getting from him. And I think... You know, you don't need to take an unnecessary risk in order to try and find the, you know, someone who's going to, you know, knock out 150 but could get out for three. I think with yeah, Kerry, you know what you're getting. I agree. Like, for me, it's um, Kerry is one of those guys that you just got to give game time to because he just is going to be good. Yeah. And you hope that with him becoming good, he'll be fine. Yeah, it's whether they think but, the age is a problem because if they... Uh, it's not too old, though, isn't he? Like 29, he's, No, he's sort of 31, I think. But it's uh, whether keepers, they want... Keepers can keep as well. We've seen keepers yeah, keep but it's whether they want Yeah, so. but it's whether they want to blood a younger one in to go with the rest of the squad because we do have a few guys that are ageing a little bit as well, especially the bowlers. So I could see them maybe giving some games. Whether it, I don't know how old Ingles is either, but I'm pretty sure he's younger. So I think he is. He's younger. Yeah. Like so I, or whatever. yeah. So you can understand maybe wanting to get him game time and just see see what you've got in him, um, which I think Kerry would be okay with as well. Um, you know, I think for you know for him like this summer, just playing is probably tick the achievement off, and everything now is a bonus. I'd say it's a, probably a bonus for Alex Kerry moving forward. So I think look, end of the day, if they do want to, I wouldn't be looking at them in away series in Pakistan and whatnot. But if they were going to look at you know, Ingles here in Australia against India for one or two tests, then I'm probably not against it either, just to see what you've got in him. But anyway, I think from an Australian cricket point of view, I saw what I wanted to see. Cummins was Cummins, you know. I think Mitch everyone Stark. was everyone. It was it was a good series for Australia. It was just a really bad series for England. And uh, apart from that English series away, I just don't see England at the minute producing a cricketer that's going to come here and be good in Australian conditions. Yeah, they, I think Mark Wood. You know, if if they have Wood. Archer and Robinson, if Robinson can pick up another five kilometers, I think that's a better attack, you know, moving forward I'm because it, the oh, the batting on the batting there, they're struggling. They're going to get old mate Coburn, mate, the way he was playing last night for the strikers. Maybe he's an oh, option yeah, long term, you know, playing in Australian conditions as well. Maybe that's an option, but maybe that's what some of the English guys need to do because you don't see a lot of them playing shield cricket here in Australia in our summer. Maybe that's something they need to utilize moving forward. Can they? find ways to get into state teams here and get used to the conditions and, you know, really acclimatise themselves and say, all right, next time we travel to Australia, I'm going to put my hand up and be the guy that's going to come in and, you know, I know the conditions. And I think it was Ollie Pope had done that, but he played grade cricket. He didn't play shield cricket. Yeah, he played grade cricket, and I don't think they gave him enough of a chance. I think he's one for the future is Ollie Pope. If I was looking at England at the minute, how they set up for test cricket is weird. You know, county cricket form, there's no such thing. The pitches are so, like, wet and green that... You know, you build techniques like a mid that pushes at the ball, trying to smother it. Yet in Test cricket, you're just going to nick off because it's going to do a bit more. Um, and then, you know, they pick guys that have like averages of like 26, and then they come to Australia and they can't handle it. Get found out. Bounce. Yeah. Um, for me, if I was 
England and look at caring about your cricket, I'll be trying to get as many guys over here playing grade cricket as possible, steel cricket. And you look when Australia has a series going to England, you know, Marnus and a few of the other boys go and play like five, six county cricket games before the season starts. Just, I know, I, I guess some players just want to chase, you know, T20 in one Yeah, day. I think the board, they do, they do. the board are really pushing it. I was listening to Michael Vaughan and he was saying that. Yeah, they, they, they've gone and what they win the one day World Cup. They've been close in the T Twenty World Cup, so they're definitely prioritising the shorter form, and it's showing like there's yeah. a hindrance on their Test cricket. So oh, it is, it is for sure. It's definitely showing. So, yeah. Anyway, you know, people people can read into that what they will. But I think enough cricket talk. Paul. Yeah. Let's get to what we're known for: bit of Premier League action. Where do you want to start, buddy? Yeah, I think your first point is probably the main the main one, and Man City are just running away with the league at this point, aren't they? They're looking good. They're finding results. You know, you, you, you sc- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say scrappy. They didn't think Chelsea were great at the weekend, but, you know, you, you get the job done 1-0. You look at the Arsenal game from a couple of weeks ago, 2-1, and, you know, a, you know, a penalty that's a bit controversial and then a, a late winner that's a bit scrappy, but that's what good sides do, and they're definitely a good side. They've still got no striker up front. They started with Phil Foden up front against Chelsea and De Bruyne manages to pull one out from nowhere and walk away 1-0 because their defence is so strong. But yeah. how do you stop them? That's the thing. Or are they, just, are they going to win the league? Oh, look, I don't, I don't see a world where City drop the league, but... Yeah, 10 points clear, whatever it is, 11 points. That's unbelievable yeah. at this point. We're... Start of January in the double digits away. This is meant to be one of the closest title fights ever. And we've like, only lost two games as well. And to be fair, I don't blame anyone that predicted that pre-season because it looked like it on paper. Yeah. Chelsea have been so underwhelming. Yes, COVID. And I don't want to speak about COVID a little later in this, um, in the pod, yeah. you know, the point you talked about before the pod even started. Um, but also I look at what City have done and they're just – even without a striker, they're just so good at turning out results. Yeah. And if you're that good at turning out results, you're going to build a lead. And I just don't see them ever going to a stage where they drop two games in a row, three games in a row. So I think they've won the league from here. It's more of a case of second, third, and fourth, really. Yeah. I think everyone talks about how good they are with the ball, but no one talks about their yeah. stuff off the ball. Like for me, I really tried to watch that this weekend. And when they lose the ball, they're not a... They're not like us. They're not like Liverpool. They're not a, a real super press. We've, we've lost it. Let's go win it high. They actually get back so quick. Like I was making the point with Dom uh, when we were watching the game, but it was it's literally like as soon as they lose the ball, the whole team gets back in shape and then they press. And it was like Chelsea literally, if they did not play that, that second ball like in behind the defense, you weren't breaking them down because exactly. even De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva do such a great job in just getting back. And it's actually made me change the way I play FM with my new system because of how effective it looked for Man City. And that's just, they get back so quick so that they don't concede. And their defense this year has been so good, so rock solid. doesn't matter who's in there, whether it's Diaz, Stones, Laporte as a uh, set-about pairing, they don't look out of out of place. Kyle Walker, I, I hadn't seen him play for donkeys and he looked good again and Cancelo back at left back. They would just, you know, they just keep ticking away and... They play these big games and they just don't get phased at all. So I think they're looking very, very solid at the moment. I agree. Like I uh, look at City and especially they're off the ball and that's what I moulded my coaching on is a bit what they do off the ball. Always look to get back into shape first and then force the opposition to areas where you can press. I think it's much better than going straight out, just full-on press. But yeah. um, obviously every team is built differently, et cetera, et cetera. So for um, 
City, it works. It's they're so hard to break down. Pep's done this in a lot of places, obviously. And without the ball, they are world class. With the ball, they're even better than world class. They're probably the best. So when yeah. you have those two combined, I don't see a world where they drop many points for the rest of the season. And as much as I love to be a Liverpool fan set here that we can win the title, and it was definitely a period this season where we could have. Um, yeah, it looks gone. Everything going on, COVID as well. On top of that, um, uh, I reckon uh, City have gone away and have won the league already in January. I think the only thing that might help teams later on is that congestion with the Champions League. I think City's still going to have to try and use this opportunity to go deep in the Champions League and that might be something that forces their hand into some rotation and maybe some poor results, you know, through February, March, which could open the door slightly if everyone can stay COVID-free and injury-free, you know, you're going to need your best 11s out there at all times in the Premier League pretty well to try and chase this down. But yeah, I think it's long gone at this point, which is disappointing. Um, We'll go to Liverpool quickly. I don't think we need to talk too much about this game as well. (laughs) 3-0 over Brentford. Uh, We had big boy Fabinho stepping up just on halftime pretty well. Uh, I felt that we deserved to go at that point. Like it was, we absolutely dominated. They looked, Brentford looked dangerous on the break, but you know, I didn't, didn't think they really created much. It was no, just I, waiting I for us. I don't think they were much. And to be quite fair, Brentford um, second half were very poor and yeah. summed up the third goal, really. So I don't think Brentford could really have too many qualms about this. That one moment, I think, my memory in the first half. Yeah, but um, it was offside. And that was it. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a win we should win. It's a game. Sorry. It's a game we should win. Right? Yeah. We won the game and we scored goals Without Affleck, without Salah, without Mane, without Naby, get on with it. Just get through this month. If we're still somehow within touching distance of City, great, which I don't even think we are. And, yeah, so for me, it's just another good performance, job done, off we go, and Brentford weren't great, so it is what it is. Yeah, exactly, and we'll take that all day long uh, for our boys, and it sets us up well for Thursday uh, for the Cup semi-final too, I think. We needed a performance. I think, obviously, we didn't look great against Arsenal in the first leg. Couldn't. You know, bury a chance. We played against 10 men for 70 minutes, but I think with them not playing this week, I think that's actually better for us because we've just uh, we kept the legs rolling. We pretty much went with, I reckon, the team that will play uh, that semi final as well. And I think we're just going to be in that bit of extra form, a bit more sharp and ready to go. Where I think Arsenal might be at that point where they may start hiccuping again because they've had a good run up until now. So don't be surprised if they fall apart against us at the Emirates. One other moment I wanted to mention from this weekend in particular before we get into some COVID stuff is the little magician is back in the Premier League. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, man, he looked he looked himself there. And a few people sort of said, you know, questioned, you know, what's what, why are they spending, you know, getting him on loan, adi, adi, adi. My response is always just, he's going there for Stevie. Like, no, you cannot underestimate the power of a player-manager relationship. And they're obviously extremely close. And if Stevie can get the best out of Coutinho, which, you know, in 13 minutes he gets a goal and an assist. If he gets the best out of him, then they have got an absolute bargain for a tiny loan fee. And I think they've got an option to buy him as well at the end if they want. So I think he's just going to add another string to Aston Villa's bow to add it with, you know, Buendia, who hasn't been great with Ollie Watkins. I think they're just going to have some real dynamic stuff. up, And Danny Ings too as well, don't they? So I think they're just going to have lots of options there that... Could all get firing, and don't be surprised if Villa are one of them. And they've brought Dinier in as well at left back. So don't be surprised if they're not a team that's going to be bumping around the top six moving forward. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I just feel like it's just good business. It's just getting a good player into your team, isn't it? Pardon? <laughs> it's just getting a good player into your team. Like, 
yeah. you can't underestimate having quality players because regardless of his form, he's still going to take attention. So, you know, it's going to create space for somebody else. So I think it's just such a good bit of business all the way around. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Totally. Any other standout moments from this weekend from you? Not particularly, um, you know, I think standout moments have come throughout like the course of this period has been more fantasy standouts of like Bruno getting points and all that sort of stuff. Any chance to speak about fantasy at the minute because I'm top 55k is great, but um, that brings me to my next point, and that's COVID, and it is absolutely playing havoc in fantasy, it's playing havoc in the Prem, and it's playing absolute havoc with trying to figure out what is going to go on with football at the minute as well. Firstly, I want your thoughts on that, Paul, what the Prem should do. And secondly, what should be the protocol with games being postponed? Oh, the thing is they can't they can't do much. So that's the thing. I, I just feel like you can't keep postponing games because you just get into this sort of cycle of just never being able to catch up and then having to try and jam everything in before the end of the season and it's just going to get messy. So for me, I think teams just need to accept the fact that they're going to have to deal with it. I think some accountability needs to go onto the squads to build bigger squads or, or maybe the Premier League need to allow them to register more players. Maybe that's something yeah. they need to do. Maybe you've okay. got to go to a 30-man squad instead of a 25-man squad and say, all right, you can spend some more money and make sure your squads are a bit thicker so that you can deal with the odd case or the odd thing here or there or the odd injury that comes because of your congestion. So maybe that's something to look for uh, for next year. And going into the transfer window, teams can have five extra spots and then they can go and get a few extra signings to fit. Um, but I still think there needs to be a level of accountability. These clubs make so much money. They should be that much invested into their youth. Teams should be able to utilize some young kids and give them minutes and see what they're like. Because if you've got them there, you might as well see what you've got. And yes, is it going to you know hurt your chances? It is, but you can't keep doing what the league's doing now. And, you know, Spurs have two or three games to catch up still. Burnley have three or so games to catch up. Like, it's just... more than that now for Burnley. It's just unbelievable. So, it's just at a point... Burnley, Burnley are playing the system at the minute, which is... Um, yeah, well, because they just lost Chris Wood as well. I don't blame them for playing the system either, to be quite fair. Um, but they're kind of just like... If they're missing one or two key players, they're kind of just turning around and saying, oh, no, we've got like a heap of COVID cases we can't play. Yeah. And I think I like Gary Neville's point is that... Across the club, you've got under-18s, under-23s, first-team boys. Yeah, under, we know it sucks, but you've got over 60, 70 players at the club at one given time. You can field a side of 11. Just Premier League is to start fielding sides of 11. Yeah. And we're making teams, sorry, field sides of 11. And I, I'm going down that path now that we know about COVID. You know what your protocols are. If you cop it, tough luck. Play your fixtures. If it means that you have to give debuts to guys that are 17, 18 years old, good for them. It's you might uncover the a gem too. That's the other thing. Yeah. And I think that's just something that's got to go, and it will mean that whoever's putting their most into their youth teams, with their youth coaching and players coming through, is huge. So, yeah, look, for, for that reason now, I am a big believer that we shouldn't see any more postponements. It should just be literally can... Um, can you get a 15 now, regardless Yeah. So if you uh, don't have... 15 physical players because you have like 40 cases across the club. Yeah, then scrap yes. it. Like, scrap it. But if you're doing what we've, what we're probably Burnley are apparently doing, which is like, oh, we're missing a couple, so we're just going to go, we have some false negatives or some false positives um, to miss games. And, you know, so be it. Now, look, I don't blame them. Leeds obviously in a similar situation and they obviously had games postponed. This season, I don't think you can change too much. We've well, you, no, already done what you need to do now. Yeah, you got to go with that now. 
postponing games. So now you just got to keep it fair, and if the teams keep asking for postponements, and you're going to keep giving them, so be it. But for next season, thirty man squad, which I think you said and hit the nail on the head. Um, I think they should be a lot more strict on what how can a game be postponed, and if you can field a team fifteen, that includes a keeper, and it includes obviously co- you know under eighteen players and under twenty three players. Who cares? You you play that fixture. Yep, I hundred percent agree with that. So I think that's sort of where it needs to to get to now as well. Just prioritize getting those squads a bit bigger and and go from there. I think then you can kind of cater for all that. So I think that's where we're at with COVID. Um, I don't want to dwell yeah. on it too long. Um, should we move on to some of these questions? Yeah, let's move into these questions. Already. Yeah, you can choose the first one. Uh, I reckon we're going to order here. So Tim yeah. obviously has got the first question here. Can the Strikers win the big bash from here? So for those that don't know, the Strikers have actually somehow from being one and seven have not just snuck into the finals, but because they won the other night against the um, against the Sixers. Yeah, last night. It's the Sixers that we beat last night, right? Um, we've actually cemented our place in the finals. So we can't come out now, which yeah. is like ludicrous because we've actually won like five, five straight, something like that. Uh, um, yeah, we've only won two of our first seven, I think, or one of our first seven. Yeah. So to come yeah, in and finish won. fifth, pretty good effort. Yeah, yeah, which is not too bad. Um, and I personally, under the belief, Dim, that I reckon the Strikers can win it with the squad we've got. We get Head and Kerry back. That's the big factor because now they're done with the he, squad. Yeah, we do. We do get Head and Kerry back. We drop Weatherall, even though he's probably been arguably our best player over the love of the years. He's not done really well at the minute. Yeah. Um, Mr. Byrne, Mr. Byrne keeps his spot. The, the Englishman's unreal. Um, and we obviously have forward that will cover with that is um, Rashi's replacement. He's actually playing with fractured ribs, which oh, is geez. crazy. That's the reason why he started so poor. And he's like, it's getting better. And now he can actually says that he can rotate for his delivery stride now. And he started to actually bowl really well. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we will be okay. Yeah, I think it's, it comes down to our batting because our bowling the last few years has been pretty consistent. Three have been the same, you know, with Agar and Sudo and, and Rash obviously not being there. But I think you know what you're going to get from us from a bowling perspective. It's can we make runs? So if Coburn can keep making runs now in the middle order, if you get Carey and head back, you know, and then we get short back as well, you know, we've got every right to be able to, to win uh, moving forward, which is going to be very, very um, intriguing to watch because I can't imagine many teams have been in the position that we've been in and gone on to win it. And we've really relied on those bonus points. So I think... Yeah, even then, I think two games ago, we lost the game, we won a game, but we didn't even yeah. go for the bonus points, which I thought was weird. Um, yeah. But we are... We're definitely a team that I don't think any of the uh, bigger sides around want to face. And we're a team that's won it before. So be definitely very interesting to see what goes on. Yeah, 100% agree with that one there. We'll move on to Dim's second point. Is there a team from the championship that you'd love to see come up? Mine's probably Blackburn, I think. Just I would love to see... I want to see Blackburn come up for the fact that it's... Um, it's an old school side from the Prem come up, not because it's, you know, Blackburn or Blackburn. Yeah. But um, I think that if you're looking at the championship in the table, right, at the minute. It's very tight. Blackburn are in third, and that's actually a possibility. And then there's QPR as well, hanging around the top six as well. Borough are there too, aren't they? The with, with Riley McGree. He just yeah, signed a three so and a half year deal. I think Middlesbrough and Blackburn for the old school. That yeah, vintage. The Prem, early 2000s. As well. Yeah, that'd be a great three to come up, eh? Get Fulham, let Fulham sit down. Fulham yeah, sort of sick of Fulham and Bournemouth. They can stay yeah. down for a little bit. Um, 
All right, JS asks, who do you think the next Premier League manager to be sacked? So the big news is Rafa actually got sacked the other day too, now, two days ago now, I think it was. Yeah, judging by when this question was, that happened before. So right. my prediction for this question would have been Rafa. But now that Rafa's gone, I'm now looking through and I'm like, I'm not sure. Yeah, Norwich probably won't get rid of Dean Smith because he's only just come in. Yep. Newcastle aren't going to get rid of Eddie Howe. Yeah. Um... Who else is sort of loitering? Sean Dyche at Burnley? Nah, I think that, that'd be a case where if they go down, they go down, and then he gets the sack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't agree. think they get rid of him. I don't know. Nah, it's Watford? a weird one. I don't think Ranieri's going to leave Watford. Nah. I don't know. There's no one that stands out, you know? Yeah, like, Bielsa's not going to leave Leeds. Um, I'm going to make the very bold prediction that Sean Dyche will get the sack if he doesn't pick up too many points in the near future. Yeah, if he gets a replacement uh, for Chris Wood, then he might be safe, but yeah. I don't think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's the only one I could kind of guess. Unless they Brendan Rodgers decides to – well, that's what I Unless they decide to part with Brendan Rodgers because they're 10th. But yeah, that's a good shout. Predictions, really. Yeah, I don't know. No, no one really – you know, even through the middle – you know, that middle pack, you know, like Brentford aren't going to get rid of Fark and, you know, or Thomas Frank, sorry. And, um, you know, it's just you think Crystal Palace aren't going to get rid of Vieira. You, you start thinking around who's in the league and you just go, yeah, everyone's kind of doing what we sort of thought at the start of the year almost, you know, like we knew Norwich were going to struggle regardless. So, you know, but they just brought in a new manager. So I just think, I reckon you're on the money there. I reckon it might be Sean Dyche, but... You know, is it one of those chasing top eight sort of teams that aren't there? Maybe, but again, I can't really, you know, I think, can't predict think it. One. It's so hard to predict that one. <laughs> yeah, there's not a standout anymore. Rafa was definitely the one that was, you know, struggling the most, I think, with the expectation and, you know, the start they had too, which was actually pretty solid. So then, you know, I've really struggled to get points on the board. So, yeah, I, think, I agree. Yeah, uh, obviously, Rafa will. You know, kind of feel for him a little bit, but again, just couldn't get a tune out of the squad. And may- maybe there was. Rafa's, if anyone thinks Rafa's the only problem at Everton at the minute, they don't understand football. Like, yeah. There is so much going on behind the scenes, the board, not giving, you know, not buying the right players. The money they did invest was in the wrong areas. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more than just Rafa. They just try to get a manager that they knew at Newcastle could paper over cracks and be as good as he can be. Um, but yeah, look, obviously. Uh, Rafa is a guy that, um, you know, just unfortunately goes by the wayside because Everton just aren't performing injuries as well. Yeah. I feel for it a lot. Had no Calvert-Lewin for most of it as well, which definitely yeah. hurts. But who ends up there? That's the next question. I don't even know, man. Could, it, could honestly be anybody. Could honestly be anybody. That's the thing with, you can't predict with Everton. You know, you go from Ancelotti to Rafa Benitez, you know, like just there's some, I think if, you, if you're a manager that doesn't have a job at the moment and you're, looking at it you go why haven't they worked you know what i mean like it's 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 beyond the point of a manager problem i think yeah it's do i want to go and take on the chaos of of being there all right and yeah, the, I agree. the last question who's winning the australian open and can an aussie win it i'm going to answer the second part of that first no an aussie male won't win the aussie open ash barty might be the option and she looked fantastic last night six love six yeah. one Pretty much gave the poor Ukrainian girl a game just so she didn't get rinsed. Six love, six love, I think, in the end. But yeah, um, I think, think Barty thinks about that sort of stuff too. She's kind of like very nice like that, which 
Sometimes it's to a detriment, I feel like, in um, in some bigger games, but it's yeah. a bit like, like that. But um, First round. Yeah, poor Ukrainian yeah. in the first round of a Grand Slam. Didn't want to demoralise her completely. Yeah, but I think that uh, for the women's side, yeah, we could see an Australian win it. For the men's side... I want to hear who you think first before I give my uh, prediction. Like win the Australian Open all yeah. together. For the men, yeah. Um, look, on the men's side, who can win the Australian Open altogether? I'm just going to say this just to give you some hope here, JS, and the rest of everyone listening. If Kyrgios, for once in his life, just decided that I'm going to just play one tournament normally. No, nah, he got COVID. Well, not even normally. Just play a tournament and stay mentally in it. Yeah, he had a chance. Would, in the perfect world, he wins the Australian Open and he retires, right? And I am going to sit here and I am going to say to everybody that the ability for him to play two weeks of tennis and him win it is there. It's just up to him if he wants to ever do it in his lifetime. Now, this is probably his I don't know, he's got, a bit of, he's got a better draw than what he's had in recent years well, too. Is he playing? I thought he was out with COVID. I think no, he's no, 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 no. He, he was out for COVID for Sydney. He's playing tonight. So. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. He was out for COVID for Sydney, so he took Sydney off. Oh, I thought he was... I thought I read something about him being in. I might, might have been in doubt, maybe. But he must have got up. Yeah. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, because I put money on him today, that he's uh, he, he's playing. Where is he? Oh yeah, he is. Okay. Cool. That makes me happy. Yeah. So oh, I think Nick Kyrgios is the only one. Tonight. I know that we do have. Um, obviously, we do have. Uh, you know, mm. Demon. Or he's been in unreal form. Yeah, I just think but, he falls apart in the bigger games, though. I think. I, I think he's a, he's another year, like another calendar year away. I think from. I'm really pushing, I think. Yeah, he, he's just got a bit more growth to go. But in terms of who's winning the Australian Open straight off the bat, Paul, I think your boy sits a pass as a shot. Yeah, that's where I'm going. And the reason I was going sits a pass was my only worry was Djokovic. He's the only one to give him trouble. And now there's no Djokovic. I think Stefanos, he just needs to, you know, play his game and not start throwing rackets around like he did last year and hit yeah. his dad. If he can stay switched on, which we've seen over the last two years, that he can get to finals and whatever and big semifinals, I think he's as good as anybody a chance to win. And I'm going to be eagerly watching tonight. I knew he was playing tonight, but I didn't realize Kyrgios was playing before him. So I'm going to be parked. No, no stream tonight, lads. I'm going to be parked in front of the TV watching Kyrgios and then sit to pass, I think. So. Yeah, I think so. That's a lot of people. Definitely be on my second second screen where I'll probably stream tonight. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, I think the boy, I think that out the boys, I think you also got to give Rafa maybe a, a chance that he can maybe win it. Yeah, we've seen sit to well. pass. Beat him. That's the thing. You know, we've seen him yeah. beat Federer and Nadal. Now, that's where I'm a bit more confident. And he's done it here yeah. in Australia. Uh, you have to respect, you know, you have to respect Nadal um, because of just the how consistent he's been for so many years. But I there's think... One more, there's one more name that Ooh. I will throw into this as well. Who are you thinking? I think Membedev, when he puts it all together, is arguably one of the yeah. best in the world. And he's just so good at hitting a ball that if he gets going, yeah. draw falls his way makes a semi, he probably wins it from there, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think those are your three. Sits a pass because there's no joker. Um, Nadal because there's actually no big, big three anymore um, because obviously Federer is out injured and um, Djokovic is, Djokovic is now been deported. Um, and we have got, obviously, Sits a pass has beaten Nadal, so that could happen. And then Medvedev, I think, if it all goes his way, could win it as well. Who knows? Maybe this is the most open Australian Open it could be, Paul. Maybe it's going to be someone outside the top eight, ten. Who knows? Maybe. And that's where it's going to be interesting. And it all might even be curious. Home crowd behind him, you know, absolutely pumped. I was disappointed yesterday in Kokonakis. He After winning the Adelaide invitation, he I looked know what that was. dreadful, man. 
You want to know what that was? What was you know it? how hard it is? It happened in Demon Duel last year where you won Sydney, right? Or well, two years ago where you won Sydney. Yeah. And then he's come back two days off, not even two days. He flew you on the, your off day. Yeah. Next day you play in the Australian Open. Flat. You just, you've to, even though I know you've gone from Adelaide to Melbourne, it's not much. You're just flat. Because you, you, you've celebrated, you've won. Especially up up. He, he played some unreal free sets of tennis, like set quarter, semi and final, I reckon, yeah. to get through. Right, um, and he played John Isner in that run too. So it's not like he's played no no mugs. Yeah, and then you just come out, you're flat. How how do you get up for a game two days later after winning a tournament? Is yeah. beyond me. Like that's where I think the ultimate preparation is is like Chilich's preparation. You get to a quarterfinal, you get a good hit out against a good opponent or a semifinal. Yeah, but then you give yourself three four days. You, lose, you get an extra four days off. You fly to Melbourne, you do a hit in Melbourne as well. And Relaxed. then you're, you're ready in your set. So I think for Kokonakis, it's great that he's won his first title. I'm happy, but am I surprised that he got knocked out first round? No, not really. Yeah. And I haven't even heard of Mumpfman, whatever his name was. Humpfman, whatever his name was. But Oh, he's a German guy that's been on tour for a long while. Yeah. I, mean, I, didn't, so, I didn't think the standard was yeah, that great from what I watched. I watched probably the second set onwards. Yeah, and just, He just looked flat. Flat, yeah. tired, and I'm just glad he came out this whole Australian summer without injury. And hopefully just, you know... Goes on a bit of a run in the ATPs, maybe gets a deep run because I think he'd be good on grass, maybe at Wimbledon. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't mind that for Cock and Arcus. I just hope Demon Orr makes it past the second week. Could be good for his experience too. Yeah, just want him playing some big games. Even if he loses, just get that experience in, in yeah, how to handle like, that situation. Like, get, come up against an opponent that is arguably better than you on paper. You lose it five sets. Australia's happy with you. You've obviously got to fight because we know you will fight. And I think that's something that they, they give Nick enough credit. Nick, the last couple Australian Opens, doesn't throw has, the not, in. has not wavered. In yeah. the five set, in the five set match. Yet. He's pulled you know, his he, head in. He, yeah, he's pulled it. In Australia, he pulls his head in, and he knows it because he wants to give everyone a show. It's it's when he's away from Australia that I worry for Nick. But um, yeah, look, the dream of Nick Kyrgios winning the Australian Open is alive and well with me, and it will always be alive and well until he retires. Um, but I'd love. I don't see an Aussie. I don't see an Aussie winning it. And the three boys we mentioned in Sitsipas, Rafa, and Medvedev are probably your three that on paper should win it. But I think it's going to be very open. I'd love to see Kyrgios sits a pass game in there at some point, quarterfinal, semifinal, um, final. Oh, could you imagine? I think that the entertainment value of that would be mental. I think that would be great oh, to see. Would, would fly and get tickets, 100%. I wish. But anyway, I think that's probably a good spot to, to wrap up this short uh, edition of the PD Sports Podcast today, Dane. Thank you once again for your company in the new year. Yes, thank you. And for everyone listening, make sure you click the link in the description to join the Discord server so you can get your questions in as well. From myself and from us here at the PD Sports Podcast, thank you for your ongoing support and we'll see you very, very soon for another episode of the PD Sports Podcast.